I don't, I don't know what kind of uh, attitude you came in here with today. Um, I don't know what your week was like, if it was a good week or a bad week, if you felt like you got everything done that you needed to get done, or if you feel like uh, now this week's going to have to be busier because of what a slacker you were, you know, this past week. I, 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 I'm, always, I'm always on the negative side of things. Like, I'm, I am a perpetual pessimist. Uh, Micah will frequently tell me I'm his favorite pessimist. Um, and, uh, and I, I look on this past week and I'm like, man, I, I don't think I accomplished anything this week. Like, I don't think I did a single thing that I wanted to do or like I ate like garbage. I definitely didn't work out. I haven't done that in about three months. Uh, you know, I, uh, um, I didn't, I, I'm an artist and I have a studio in town and that's primarily how I support my family. And I did not spend nearly enough time in the studio this week, was not productive, had a hard time kind of getting my brain going. And I just kind of got to the end of the week and I felt like, man, I just, I wasted it all. And then to make matters worse over the last like three days, four people have said something like, Hey, were you productive in the studio this week? And they're not like keeping tabs on me or anything, you know, but it kind of feels like that. And then I have to be like, no, I, I didn't do anything this week. Thanks for reminding me and making me feel horrible about myself. And so uh, maybe, maybe some of you came in here today and you just, you just don't like yourself at all. You're really glad that tomorrow's a Monday, right? Because you're like, I'll start Monday. Like we always do that. And tomorrow also happens to be March 1st. So you're like, you've been saying I'll start Monday. I'll start next month. Uh, that's both tomorrow, right? And so like tomorrow's the day that like so many of us, we're going to get back on track, right? And you just, and then when you don't get back on track by Wednesday, you're like, oh, why am I even trying this? And you just feel frustrated with yourself. Some of you aren't like that. Some of you are like, man, I crushed this week. I got everything done. I was up at 4.15 every morning. Uh, I went to bed at two and, uh, and, and like I, ju- I got everything done and I've made millions of dollars and I accomplished everything I was supposed to accomplish. And you know what? Like I, I just don't get that. I, I don't get being optimistic. <laughs> like, I, I just don't. I'm like, oh, wow. Like, what, what must that feel like to be that, you know, like that accomplished? Um, and, uh, and so however it is you came here today, what I want you to know and what I, what I want us to know as believers is that whether you're coming in here today feeling accomplished and very proud of yourself or whether you're coming in here today very disappointed in how you performed this past week, that both of those are wrong expressions. Both of those are wrong because we are who we are, not because of our performance, but we are who we are because of who God declares us to be. And we are who we are because of the work of Christ on the cross and because of the empty tomb. And so what I hope is that you'll be encouraged today. And I hope that what you'll take away from today's time isn't that you should be better. You should try harder. And man, uh, you failed this past week, but do better this week. But what I hope you'll take away from today is that what God has done is enough and that God has, God has rescued us and ransomed us and, and, and made us holy. And we've been talking about the Holy Spirit for the last few weeks. Uh, the, the snow and ice a couple of Sundays ago threw us off by a week, but, uh, this is our third of fourth third of four sermons on the Holy Spirit. And, and I really encourage you to go back and listen to the other ones that we had. I think that they'll be a real encouragement to you. Two times ago, we talked about how the Holy Spirit is God. Last week, we talked about how the Holy Spirit gives wisdom and gives power. And that's kind of been a couple of his descriptions. He's always done those kinds of things. And today, here's what we have on tap. Our theology today is this. We're going to start talking about what the Spirit does. Our theology, theology today is this. The Holy Spirit testifies that we belong to God and seals us in Christ. The Holy Spirit 
testifies that we belong to God and seals us in Christ. It'll be up here on the screen for a little bit. Uh, our application today is this. We can trust the, the Spirit to secure us in God. We can trust the Spirit to secure us in God. And our prayer today is, God, we thank you for the Spirit you've sealed us with. Back to our theology, the Holy Spirit testifies that we belong to God and seals us in Christ. I, um, I, I, am, I am proficient at being disappointed in myself. Um, anybody else feel like, like you just, you just kind of live there, you know, you just stay disappointed in yourself. Um, it's, it's interesting because like, it's funny what we will keep in mind. Um, I, uh, I, I worked out for like 126 days in a row. It's the most I've ever done in my entire life, probably. Um, except for maybe, maybe when I was in high school on the swim team. And then like, I haven't worked out for the last hundred days. So I, apparently I'm on this hundred day off, hundred day on kind of program. Um, it's not working for me. Uh, and, and, um, it's interesting though, because here I am, I'm 45, I'm almost 46 years old. And it's interesting to me because I can remember, I can remember, it would be really weird if he was listening, but there, there was, there was a kid in sixth grade, uh, named Johnny Pickard and, uh, and he picked on me a lot. And, uh, and, um, and, and I remember doing the presidential fitness test in PE. Anybody remember that? And I remember that Johnny Pickard in sixth grade, man, could just crank out chin up after chin up after chin up. And I couldn't even, I couldn't even get myself up to the bar, you know? Like, I mean, like, I, I couldn't even hop to the bar. That was like, that was my skill set, right? I remember in seventh grade, there was a girl at my church that I really had a crush on. We went to see, it might have been seventh or eighth grade, whenever the first Home Alone came out. Our youth group went to see the first Home Alone in the theaters. And I remember her friend saying, hey, Ryan likes you. And she goes, I could never go for a scrawny, scrawny dweeb like that. You know, and, and, like, and, and why her friend had to tell me that, I don't know. But um, I remember that. I remember being in ninth grade PE and the guys, uh, we had a free day and the guys were like doing some weight stuff. And they're like, hey, Ryan, come over here and see if you can bench press the bar. It was a 45 pound bar. I could not. And I knew that I could not, but I had to try. And they lifted it off the rack and dropped it on me. And it landed on my throat. And I remember that. And I remember my dad making fun of me in 10th grade and 11th and 12th grade for not being as strong as he was. And here I am, 45 years old, and I think, man, you haven't worked out in 100 days. And I hear all those voices in my head. Anybody ever just have disappointment in yourself? And it just stacks up. And you can't seem to shake yourself free from it. What I want us to go away with today is not, uh, not that voice louder in our hearts, but the voice of God louder in our hearts that says, you are redeemed and you are loved and you are chosen by God and you are adopted into his family. Because th th let me just tell you, if it, it, I, I don't see the other side of the coin. So the other side of the coin is you're crushing life and you've always done really well at everything. And the temptation for you isn't discouragement and condemnation and depression. The, the, the temptation for you is pride and ego. And, and so either way, what I want us to do is I want us to be people who our confidence rests in who God is and not who we are or who we think we failed to be. And so that being said, the Holy Spirit testifies that we belong to God and seals us in Christ. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 
says this, that you, that you have the Spirit of God. For anyone who belongs to Christ have the Spirit of God. And if you don't belong to Christ, you don't have the Spirit of God. Now, listen to me very carefully here. If you are a Christian, if you have put your faith in God, uh, and, and Jesus, you declare Jesus has died, and he's been raised from the dead, and you, you have believed in Christ, then you have the Holy Spirit of God. The, the God that we talked about two weeks or uh, a week ago when we talked about the Holy Spirit being full of wisdom and power, he now lives in you. And one of the dangers that I've seen, and in the course of 45 years in church, I've probably only heard this sermon preached or variations of this sermon preached about five times, five or six times, but I want to kind of, I I want to undo a bad teaching really quickly if you'll allow me to. I'm going to, so I I don't know why I keep asking if you'll allow me to. I'm just going to do it. Uh, The only way you can not participate is by leaving, I guess. So, uh, but how many of you remember the story? Maybe you don't. There's a story where Peter, the, the disciple of Jesus, there's a story where as Jesus is arrested, uh, Peter is following along to see what's going to happen to Jesus. And somebody comes to him and says, wait, you're one of his apostles. You're one of his disciples. And Peter denies it. He says, no, I don't know the man. And then somebody else comes up to him and says, no, 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 I saw you with him in the garden. You are certainly one of his disciples. And Jesus, or Peter again says, no, I don't know the guy. And then another woman comes up to him and she says to him, the way you talk gives you away as a Nazarene. Like, I I know that you're a follower of Christ. And it's a really interesting note uh, because the Bible then says that Peter then begins to call curses down upon himself and swear, I do not know the man. I've always found this interesting. Don't make more of it than the Bible makes of it. But it is an interesting point that the third person says, the way you talk identifies you as a follower of Christ. And then the thing that he does is talk as badly as he can talk so that he doesn't identify himself as a follower of Jesus. Like he runs completely the other way. It's really interesting to me. But here's the point. Sometimes people have taught, and, and I've grown up in church, been around church my whole life, and I've heard people say, look, maybe you're a Christian just like Peter was who denied Christ. That doesn't happen. Do not compare yourself to Peter of the Gospels. Here's why. Jesus hadn't died yet when Peter denied Jesus. The power of sin had not been broken yet. The grave was not empty. Death had not been defeated. The spirit had not been given. Peter's situation when he denies Christ is nothing like yours in my situation. You and I right now, hear me say this, you and I right now are in a better spot than Peter was when he denied Christ because sin has been defeated. The grave has been overthrown. Christ has blood has been shed. The tomb is empty and we have been marked by the spirit. So, so don't take Peter's denial of Christ as an excuse for that behavior in yours or my life. Let me, let me carry that a step further. In Luke, we see Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas because we're, we're ungraceful. We, we need to give the guy some grace, right? Like, give Thomas grace. Let's just call him Thomas, okay? Thomas the Apostle. But, but here's the thing that's interesting, right? The ten apostles, Judas is already dead. The ten apostles are meeting. They see Jesus face to face, and then Thomas isn't there. And so Thomas shows back up later, and the ten apostles are like, hey, we saw Jesus. And he goes, I won't believe unless I put my finger in the hole in his hand and unless I put my fist in his side. Now, at this point, Jesus has died. Jesus has been raised from the dead, so the power of sin has been broken. But at this point, the Spirit has not yet been given. And Peter, or, or Thomas says, show me, prove it to me, and then I'll believe. Hear me say this. Peter and Thomas, and in fact, one more, let me give you one more story. Jesus is walking with a couple of guys at the end of Luke, Luke 24, on the road to Emmaus. They don't recognize him as Jesus. They don't recognize him, okay? And here, let me, I'm getting ahead of myself. I get so excited. (laughs) Jesus died on the morning that he was raised from the dead. A couple of Marys, uh, Mary, Mary, and a friend of theirs went to anoint the body of Jesus. 
They show up there, the tomb, the stone's rolled away, the tomb is empty, and they see what they believe to be the gardener. It's actually Jesus. They see what they think to be the gardener, and Mary says to Jesus, she says, tell me where you laid him, and he goes, Mary, and when he speaks to her, she recognizes him as Jesus, and the Marys run, and they go tell the apostles, he's raised from the dead, and then Peter and John go and look, and they're like, we don't know, and then they tell the other guys, the women say that he's been raised from the dead, but we're not sure. Now, two of these guys are walking to Emmaus, and Jesus is walking with them, and Jesus goes, why are you so bummed out? That's my version of it. Why are you so bummed out? And the guys go, are you new to Jerusalem? Have you not heard what has happened? How this guy, Jesus, we thought he was going to be the redeemer of Israel and he was crucified. And now some of our women said that he was raised from the dead and they even saw him. But Peter and John went and the tomb was empty. So catch this. These two guys walking with Jesus aren't saying Jesus was our Messiah. They aren't saying Jesus is our redeemer. They're saying we thought he was going to be. They don't get it yet. Why don't they get it yet? Because the Spirit, whose job it is to show us Christ, hasn't come yet. So don't think that the disciples in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are Christians like you and I are Christians. These are people who didn't get it yet because the Spirit hadn't been given yet. And the Spirit is the one who convinces us and shows us that Jesus is God. Here's an interesting point. Jesus reveals himself to these two guys and then disappears. They run all the way back to Jerusalem and they tell the, uh, the people there, Jesus really is raised from the dead. That's when Jesus shows up, but Thomas isn't there. And then Thomas is like, I won't believe it until I see it. And then about a week later, he sees it. Like, here's the thing. No one believed the women. We can talk about that another time. They... <laughs> They barely believed, they barely believed the two guys from Emmaus. And then the other apostles telling Thomas, the other apostles who had hung out with Thomas, Thomas goes, I still don't believe it. So they've had three separate testimonies that day, and they're not believing it. And why aren't they believing it? Because the Spirit hadn't been given yet. Have you ever wondered why the four legions of soldiers or the, or, or the four squads of soldiers guarding the tomb of Jesus who saw the angel come, who saw the stone moved, who watched Jesus be raised from the dead, have you ever wondered why it was they were able to be bought off? How is it that the Roman government was able to give them money and say, just say his disciples stole it, and they did that? How is it that that happened? Because the Spirit, even though they saw these things, the Spirit didn't quicken it in their heart. You need the Spirit, <laughs> to be able to declare that Jesus is God. So don't look at how the apostles behaved in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and say, it's okay if I behave like that. It's okay if I deny Christ like Peter. It's okay if I disbelieve like Thomas. It's okay if I doubt like the couple of guys. No, none of those guys had the spirit. Look at how they behaved in Acts, and they weren't questioning it then, were they? From, from Acts forward, from Acts 1 forward, when they received the Holy Spirit, they were bold. From Acts 1 forward, when they were called upon to declare whether or not they believed in Christ, they declared it without doubt, without hesitation, and they did so to the point of death. They, they, they declared Jesus to their deaths. Because the Spirit, when the Spirit comes into us, when we are given the Spirit, it identifies us as people who belong to God. And that's not something that someone convinces you of. That's not just kind of like, you know, like, like, listen, some of you, some of you are Texan. Like, I mean, Texan. Like, have you, did you see the meme that was floating around during the blizzard, you know? And, like, people don't have water and stuff. And there's a photo of, like, H-E-B or something. And all the sweet tea is gone, but the unsweet tea is still there. And it says, it, it says Texans are scared but not drink unsweet tea scared. <laughs> you know? Like, there's this, there's this mindset, like, you know, I'm, I'm Texan. You know, I, I was born in Italy. 
Um, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know, I live in Texas, and that's about as far as it goes. Some of you are like, I'm never going back to that church. You know, like, where's his Texas flag tattoo, right? Anyway, but like, there, there are things that we have kind of by birthright, you know? Like, some of you are like, I'm Texan by birthright. Like, some of you, some of you are like mountain people. You know what I mean? You're either mountain or beach people, you know? And some of you are mountain people, and I, I'm, I'm definitely a mountain person. I, I learned to fish on the Snake River in Idaho and Oregon. When, that's where my dad grew up. Like, I, like I have some of these connections to, to Oregon. I, like, put me in a mountain, put me in a river any day over the beach and sand in my swimsuit. You know, like, I just, but, but, like, we have these things we identify with. And what I want us to know is that this isn't something that, like, somebody goes, hey, you you need to come over to our team. You need to support. This isn't a fair weather fan. This isn't like whether or not you're a Cowboys fan or whatever. Like this is, this is something that God himself writes on your heart and says, you belong to me. And once God has written that on your heart, there isn't anything that would cause you to disbelieve that or question that. I belong to God. Now, some of you are going, man, I have questions about whether or not I belong to God. Listen to me. It's one of two things happening. And there really are only two possibilities. One, Either you haven't really put faith in God, you know all the answers, you could pass a multiple choice test, but either you haven't really put faith in God or the enemy's messing with your head. But God's testimony that you belong to him is so powerful that it changes a Peter who would deny God a few days ago to a Peter who would stand up in front of a multitude of people and say, this is our God. It changes people from a Thomas who goes, I better see it or I don't believe it, to historically, Thomas is the one who evangelized India. Um, It changes these people from people who are like, man, I'll do it unless it costs me something too. I will do it even if it costs me everything. And when the spirit of God comes into us, I am not talking here, like, listen, I'm not talking about, hey, I hope the Spirit comes on you. I am telling you that if you are a believer, you have the Spirit. That's what I'm telling you. We're not looking for him. We are not searching for him. He is ours, and we are his, and he has sealed us in Christ. If you wonder why it is that your life maybe lacks power sometimes, it's not. Part of it, I think, is that we have a really hard time giving up control. What I mean by that is we like to be the ones who are responsible for our well-being instead of letting God be the one who's responsible for our well-being. We, we've tried to be successful in our endeavors. We've tried to overcome our sin. We've tried to make our marriages work. We've tried to raise our kids in a godly fashion instead of saying, God, I give my life to you, and I need you to do the work in me. God, I need you to do the work in me. Are you not tired yet? Are you not tired of everybody telling you, here's the 40 things you've got to do to be better? I'm tired of that. And I want to know that who God is is enough, enough to change me. And like, listen, oh, I love this. This is from Romans chapter 8, verse 16. It says, The Spirit of God testifies to my spirit that I am a child of God. And if I'm a child of God, I'm an heir of God and co heirs with Christ. How do I know I belong to God? Because the Spirit has told me so. That's how I know. Because, it, because it's not something that, it's not a whim. It's not the flavor of the day. It's not this thing that I just kind of like feel on the happy days, but question on the bad days. On the good days and the bad days alike, whether you call them the mountains or the valleys, whatever it is, I know that whatever happens today, tomorrow, and for as long as I draw breath, that I belong to the Lord God. Because he's given me his spirit. And this isn't like in the Old Testament where the spirit was given or taken away. 
In 1 Samuel chapter 16, we see King Saul, the first king of all of the nation of Israel. And the Bible says that God put his spirit on Saul. But in 1 Samuel 16, when Saul rejected God, God withdrew his spirit from Saul. He took his spirit back. And then the Bible says in 1 Samuel 16, he put it on David. And he gave David uh, the spirit. David's the second king of all of Israel. And as we know, David was a man after God's own heart. But what was the one thing? What was the thing that the Bible says he did everything according to the will of God save one thing? He had an affair with one of his best friend's wives. Uriah, Uriah, the man, in case you didn't know, uh, so this is somewhere into David's ministry, about 20 or 30 years into David's kingly ministry. Uriah had been with David since David was a young man going to battle for King Saul. Uriah had been with David at this point for nearly 30 or 40 years. David knew Uriah. David knew Uriah's wife. So when he had an affair with Uriah's wife and then had Uriah murdered, and when David gets convicted of his sin, he wrote Psalm 51. And you know what he says in Psalm 51? Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Why would David say that? Why would David say, do not take your Holy Spirit from me? Because he had seen God remove his Holy Spirit from King Saul. David knew that that was a possibility. But let me tell you something, Christian. The Holy Spirit will not be taken from you. Amen. Okay? This is a different set of rules because in the Old Testament, God gave his spirit and withdrew his spirit based on conduct, and now the spirit is given based on Christ. And Christ does not change. And Christ is not impotent or weak or somehow powerless to redeem us or rescue us for this moment and the next one and the next one. And if you have been marked by the spirit, you continue to be marked by the spirit, and it is an indelible mark that cannot be removed. Some of you might be thinking, well, what about my failures? And you have a list of things that pile up in your head. Your failures are not bigger than the cross. Amen. They're just not. Your sin does not wash away the blood of Jesus, but quite the opposite. The blood of Jesus washes away your sin. Amen. Your self-deprecation and your self-loathing are not a tidal wave that washes away Christ's grace and compassion. And so we have been marked by the Spirit. Go, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to leave a lot on the table here, and some of what I'm about to say may create some questions for you, and I would love nothing more than for you to come and ask me about them later or come to our Bible study today or come Wednesday night and ask or text me or Facebook me or stalk me or whatever you've got to do. But, like... Let's, let's talk Bible. Come by the studio this week and make sure that I'm working. And if I'm not, punch me in the throat and then ask me this question about Ephesians 1. Um, in Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 11, Paul says this, In him, in God, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of God who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Pause there for just a moment. The we in verse 11 and the we in verse 12 are the Jews. Okay? It's the Jews. I do not have like I really want to talk to you more about this, but you're just going to have to come and talk to me later or show up this afternoon or whatever. But like... In him, we, Jews, have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things to the counsel of his will, so that we, Jews, who were the first to hope in Christ, would be to the praise of his glory. Pause with me here. So Romans tells us that, that Christ was first for the Jews. 
and then for the Gentiles. That salvation comes from the Jews. That Jesus came first to the Jew. That there's salvation first to the Jew and then to the Greek. That there is judgment first to the Jew and then to the Greek. There is an order to things. There is an order to things that Christ, who was a Jew, who came to... Why was salvation first for the Jews? Because the prophets were Jewish. Because the prophets who wrote about the coming Savior were Jewish. Because all the people who stood up and all the teachers and all the men who died leading up to Christ the hundreds of years before who said the Savior is coming were Jews. Salvation is of the Jews and then was extended to the Gentiles. So he says we who were the first to hope in Christ were saved for the hope of his glory. Look at verse 13. In him you also. Pay attention to pronouns when you're reading. We and you are not the same group of people. But it's really interesting because I, I, pastors will say that. They'll say, now the we here is us. And then they'll, they'll get to the next verse that says you, and they'll be like, see, he's talking to you. And somehow every pronoun is all of us? It's really l- ridiculous. Like, and no one ever talks like that. But, but hear this, listen. We who are the first to hope in Christ, verse 12, in him you also, you Gentiles, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says. We who were the first to believe, and then you also believed, and you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. What he's saying is that whether they were the first to believe or the last to believe, Jew or Gentile, that collectively those who believed were sealed with the Holy Spirit. So it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or if you're a Gentile, you're marked by the Spirit of God, right? That salvation is for you. And then look at what he says here. He goes, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glorious grace. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of your inheritance, the guarantee of your reward, the guarantee of the coming kingdom, the guarantee that one day when God shows up, you will not fall under judgment, but you will be welcomed into life. That's The Holy Spirit's that guarantee for the Jew who believes and for the Gentile who believes. Now, this doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but in Acts and in Ephesians and in Colossians, and in Romans, and in 1 Corinthians, and in 2 Corinthians, and in Peter, and in James, what we see is that the early Jews, early Christian Jews, thought that Christianity was only for the Jews. And they had to be reminded over and over and over and over again that no, even the Gentiles who believe by faith receive the Spirit. Even the Gentiles who believe by faith are forgiven and receive life. Listen, it does not matter your background. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you have been marked by the Spirit of God. You have been sealed by him, and the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now alive inside you. The power that broke the tomb, that overthrew death, is at work in you, Christian. That's great news. If you feel impotent and tired and weak and powerless, it is not because of the spirit in you. More than likely, it's because you're trying too hard. This isn't your show anymore. You gave up the right to your life the moment you put faith in Jesus. Now it's his. It belongs to him. I'm an artist. I love art. Uh, I've been an artist full-time now for about six years, um, and I enjoy it a lot. I'm trying. The last two years, I have not worked as hard as I would like to. Uh, So for like four years in a row, I painted about 100 pieces a year. The last two years, maybe combined, I've painted 100 pieces. Um, if, if, If I... If I don't create something, then I can't sell it. And if I can't sell it, I can't buy groceries. It's a really simple math equation. You know, you paint so that you can sell, and then you hope that it sells so that you can buy groceries. And that's how I make my living, um, primarily. And uh, 
And I'm trying to always think of ways that, like, how do I get my art, like, beyond my, my family? <laughs> how do I get my art beyond, like, my friend group, you know? And I started trying to think of ways that I could elevate my game a little bit, if you will. And one of the ways that I decided is I've never provided a certificate of authenticity. So, like, a lot of people who are high-end professional artists um, who are charging, you know, like this, this one artist that I like out of California, she's charging about... $20,000 for a painting the size of that shark back there, um, which is way out of my league. But anyway, with every painting that people buy, she prints out a certificate of authenticity with them that talks about kind of the history of the painting, when it was created, where it's from, who the artist was, uh, what the medium was, the date she finished, and all that kind of stuff. So I've started thinking, I need to do some certificates of authenticity. And one of the things that I've decided that I want to do, because I, I don't have a working printer anymore and like I mean, everything's online now, right? So I'm trying to figure out how can I do this to be more efficient. So one of the things that I decided that I'm going to do, because I heard of another artist that did it, and I thought that's brilliant, um, I'm going to get brand new crisp $1 bills. And every painting that I sell, I'm going to tape, or not tape, but glue a $1 bill to the back of that painting. And then that $1 bill has a unique serial number. And then I'll write up the certificate of authenticity that has a matching serial number to that dollar bill, Right. And then the other thing that I'll do is I'm going to, I, I bought like the really cool wax set and the little stamp, you know, you melt the wax and you drip it. So I'm going to stamp and seal each dollar bill with a certain color of wax. And then each letter that goes out with that painting will have the same color of wax seal on the letter so that you can match the two and say, this is an authentic painting. Now, I know what you're thinking, Ryan, you're not that famous. I haven't ever heard of you until today. Um, <laughs> you're right. You're right. I'm not that famous, right? Um, but... It, Interesting fact, 95% um, of people who call themselves artists, and there's a lot of them, there's a lot of us who call ourselves artists, 95% of people who call themselves artists do less than $1,000 a year in income. And I'm, I'm trying not to be that guy. Like, I want to support my family, and my kids want to go to college one day, right? And so, like, uh, I don't have a retirement plan, <laughs> you know? Like, I, I don't own a house that I can sell or anything. Like, I've got I to gotta figure some stuff out, right? And, and so what I'm trying to do is elevate people's expectation, does that make sense a little bit? Somebody's going somebody's gonna to call me up and they're going to buy. Uh, that shark is actually going to New Mexico. That's one of my paintings. It's going to New Mexico. The guy has it on layaway right now, right? And, and so why a guy in New Mexico wants a big four-foot shark, I don't know, but awesome. And, 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 and so it's going to New Mexico and he's paying it off. When I ship it to him, it'll come with a seal and it'll come with all these things. And then what it does, he's already convinced he likes it. But then what it will do is it'll be like, man, I have this really cool, like, like anybody, anybody have a pile of important papers? I say pile because you probably have them in a safe, but I'm a pile guy. I'm a pile person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, 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 have a, I have a stack of important papers. Uh, and, 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 and so what I'm hoping to do, what I'm hoping to do is kind of elevate people's expectation of my work. And the only thing I'm doing differently is adding a dollar to the back, sticking a wax seal on it, and sending them a note. That's literally it. But they're going to start going, wow, this is kind of fancy. Does that make sense? It, it's, it's like I'm, I'm trying to elevate their perception. Hear me say this. When the Bible says here in Ephesians 1 that you have been sealed by the Spirit, that's the same imagery. It's that wax seal. You've been marked by the Spirit of God. God has just elevated people's perception of you because you've been marked by God. You are a masterpiece. You are a creation of God. Ephesians 2.10, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the good deeds that he's done beforehand. How do you know? How can you know that you're authentic? How can you know that you're the real deal? I've got the spirit. I've been sealed. I've been marked by the artist. Okay? 
So I know the analogy breaks apart. Don't try to pick it apart. But, but do you understand what I'm trying to say here? That, like, that you and I have been made by God, made in the image of Christ through faith in Jesus, and we have been sealed by the Spirit of God. That is our seal of authenticity. That is our certificate, if you will, of authenticity. And we have been declared to be people of God. Here's another thing that's really, really interesting. In Ezekiel chapter 9, uh, in Ezekiel 9, God is about to bring judgment on Jerusalem. Uh, they've turned away from him. They've turned to idols. And God, it's a beautiful picture. Uh, Ezekiel's really a cool book. It's a little tedious to read sometimes, but it's a cool book. And so in Ezekiel 9, God is systematically, he left the temple, he left the hill of Jerusalem, and he's leaving the city. And then at the end of Ezekiel, God comes back and rebuilds the temple. It's this, this whole thing of restoration. But in Ezekiel 9, God, he gets his warriors ready. And there's these warriors with weapons of death. And he says, I need you to go kill everybody. But he talks to this one guy first. A guy that I imagine very much like me, a scrawny little guy. I, I call myself scatty, you know. I'm not. I'm kind of skinny fat, you know. Um, uh, my, my, my arms don't fill up my sleeves. I've never been that guy. I always see guys whose arms fill up their sleeves, and I'm like, man, he has muscles. That's cool, you know. But I'm, I'm the guy that, like, when I buckle my belt, like, the, st- something comes over the top here, you know. I'm that guy. Um, I, I, and people look at me and go, man, you're really skinny. And I'm like, yeah, in, in, in some parts, you know. Um, I'm, I'm skinny fat, you know. And, and, and so I imagine that this guy is kind of like that because there's these warriors with weapons of death, and then there's a guy in, like, a linen robe with a piece of chalk hanging from his belt. And I'm like, that's the guy I would have been. Like, you know? And so God says to this guy with the piece of chalk hanging from his belt, he goes, go throughout Jerusalem and everybody who is grief stricken over their sin, everybody who is repentant and has broken hearts, put a mark on their forehead. And then the guy goes and does that and he comes back and he goes, all right, I've done what you've told me to do. And then God tells his warriors, now go kill everyone who doesn't have the mark. Go kill everyone who doesn't have the mark. Now, I grew up in church. I've been in church my whole life. And all growing up, the only mark I was ever taught about was the mark of the beast. Right? You ever heard sermons about the mark of the beast on your wrist or on your foreheads? And yet the Bible talks almost as much about being marked by God in the scripture. In fact, in Revelation chapter 7, Revelation chapter 9, and Revelation chapter 14, it says that those who belong to God are marked on the forehead by God. There's this picture, not only in Ezekiel, but in Revelation, that those who belong to God, those who are rescued, and by the way, in Revelation 7, Revelation 9, and Revelation 14, in each of those places, the people who were marked by God are then spared of his judgment that's coming. And the mark for us who believe is the Spirit of God. We have been marked. We have been sealed. We are... We are We are beyond a shadow of a doubt people who belong to God. And because we belong to God, we can have confidence that my position before the throne of God is not in jeopardy. We can have confidence that that however much I like myself or hate myself today has no impact on the cross. We can have confidence that that I am not in jeopardy of, of, of being under God's judgment. I am not in jeopardy of falling under his condemnation. I am not in in jeopardy of being cast aside because he has put his indelible seal on me through the Holy Spirit and said, this one is mine. It's it's a beautiful picture that I, that, oh, goodness gracious. There's a, I'm going to lie to you and I don't mean to. It's, um, I think it's Zechariah chapter three. And there's this guy, he's a priest and a king. His name's Joshua, and he's, he's, uh, he's dirty. He's covered in sin. It's a picture of his sin. In fact, there was a group of my friends, uh, I don't know, 20 years ago, who were starting a Christian band, and they said, help us come up with a name. I said, Dirty Joshua. 
And, and they're like, no. There was a guy in the band named Josh, you know, and they're like, no, we can't do that. And, they're gonna, and I'm like, yeah, but here's the picture. So dirty Joshua is standing before God, and at the right hand of Joshua is Satan set to accuse him. And then the Lord says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Isn't this one that I have plucked from the fire? Think hell. Isn't this one I have plucked from judgment? Isn't this one I have plucked from the edge of destruction? And then he says to his angels, now dress this one in a festal robe. Put a clean turban on his head. So they removed his filthy garments and dressed him in righteous clothes. And, and I just want you to know that if you're a believer, that's a really great picture of who you are today. You have been plucked from the fire. And you are no longer in your filthy rags, but you are dressed in party clothes before the king. He has stood up for you and said, this is one I have rescued. This is one that I have saved. This is one that I have called my own. Now, that being said, that brings us to our application. We can trust that the Spirit will secure us in God. We can trust the Spirit to secure us in God. So the Spirit has marked us, has sealed us, but also, what did I say for the theology? Uh, testifies that we belong to God and seals us in Christ. You don't have to worry about losing your salvation. You don't have to worry about whether or not your righteousness is in jeopardy. The Bible says this in John chapter 10, Jesus is calling himself a shepherd. Jesus is calling himself the gate for the sheep. And, and one of the things that Jesus says is he goes, he, he's talking to a Jewish audience and he says, I, I have sheep here who will hear my voice and they'll follow me. And then he says, I also have sheep of another fold, being the Gentiles. I have sheep of another fold. I'm going to go and speak to them and bring them in. And they all are going to become one flock. Jews and Gentiles will become one flock. And he says this, and they will be secure in my hand and I will be in the Father's hand and no one can snatch you out. You, you can, it isn't your job to remain in God. It's his He's sealed you. He's marked you. He's the one that secures you in him. In fact, in John chapter 6, when Jesus was preaching one of his hardest sermons, he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have no part with me. And he says, but all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and I will by no means cast them out, but raise them up on the last day. He says that three times in John chapter 6. You are not in danger of being cast out. You are most assuredly, having been marked by the Spirit, one of those who will be raised up on the last day, who will be declared the people of God. Now hear me say this, and this isn't meant to be terrifying. Uh, it kind of is, but it's not meant to be bullying. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, you're under judgment. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, your conduct cannot rescue you in the same way that your conduct has not condemned you. What condemns you is that you do not acknowledge Christ as Lord. What declares you righteous and holy is that you have declared him as Lord. There isn't anything else that has to be done. You don't have to dress a certain way to come here. You don't have to have a certain history or pedigree. You don't have to be able to read Greek or Hebrew. You don't have to have like great connections, you know, believe. Put your faith in God who loved you enough to send you his son. And having done that, you are sealed. Now, I've made this comment several times over the last six weeks. 
some of you are going to want to say, yeah, but shouldn't we behave a certain way or shouldn't we do this or shouldn't we do that? Short answer is yes, but the longer answer is, but that's not really your, respo- your responsibility. Submit yourself to the Lord and let him work in you. God's the one who bought you. God is the one who will transform you. Trust him to do that. Trust that the Holy Spirit will keep you safe, will keep you secure in Christ. Trust that Philippians 1.6 is right, that he who began the good work in you will carry it to completion. Trust that God, whom you were estranged from, took every step necessary to draw you near him, and out of his good pleasure has marked you with his spirit. I, I don't know why growing up in a Southern Baptist church, I don't know why the only thing I was ever taught about the Holy Spirit, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, I don't know why the only thing that I was ever taught about the Holy Spirit was him looking like a dove on the day Jesus was baptized or the tongues of fire in Acts chapter 1. I also don't understand why my Pentecostal friends, and I mean that when I say that, I also don't know why the only thing they seem to talk about is whether or not you speak in tongues. Because the Holy Spirit is a lot bigger than that. He's been around since Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. He's been around forever. But as far as our record of him, Genesis 1, 2 is where we first see him. He is the creator and maker of all things, along with the Father and the Son. He has always been full of wisdom and full of power. He has sealed us. He has marked us. He has gifted us with the power that raised Jesus from the dead in our own bodies so that we could be people who glorify God with our very last breath. And he secures for us the inheritance and the salvation and the kingdom that is coming soon. Those are all great things to talk about when we talk about the Holy Spirit, don't you think? Man, you're okay. You don't have to be ashamed anymore. And your ego won't win you any points. But if you have put your faith in God, you're saved, you're sealed, you're marked, you're authentic. And last week, maybe you felt powerless. And maybe tomorrow will kick your tail. But it doesn't change who God has called you. And what we're going to do now is we're going to spend a little bit of time in prayer. And we are just going to say, God, we thank you for the spirit you've sealed us with. That we are legitimately sealed, that we legitimately belong to God. Right where you are. Not just physically in your seat, but also in your heart. Right where you are in this week, feeling really proud of yourself or really self-loathing. We turn our attention away from us and we turn it to God. And we say, God, we thank you for the spirit you've sealed us with. We thank you for the spirit that has marked us, that has called us authentic, that has declared that we belong to God. We thank you for the spirit that has given us life. We thank you for the spirit whose power is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. We thank you for the spirit that is alive in us to bring us into the likeness of Jesus. We thank you for the spirit that guarantees our inheritance, our salvation, our holiness, our righteousness. Would you just thank God for that spirit?
take a moment, if you would, as well. Ask God to turn your attention away from yourself. Whether you're the self-loathing type or the self-congratulating type, God, turn our attention away from us. God, don't allow us to be proud of who we are or hateful of who we are, but let all of our identity, everything that we believe about ourselves, let it rest in Christ and the cross and the empty tomb. The God who loved us, the Savior who died for us, the Spirit that sustains and empowers us. Let all of our affection be set on you, Lord God. It's not a matter of whether or not we're enough. You are enough. It's not a matter of whether or not we've screwed up too much. You are righteous and holy. It's not a matter of how many things we've gotten right or how many things we've gotten wrong, but Lord God, you yourself are the savior and the sustainer of all things. God, turn our attention away from us to you in all things. Take a moment.